You're listening to First Conyers Daily Podcast, Daily in the Word, with Pastor John Mark Oliver. Well, good morning. Today is Tuesday, April the 12th, and welcome to our Daily in the Word this morning as we're doing a special week of Passion Week leading up to Good Friday and then Easter on Sunday. Um, and this morning we're going to continue in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew's Gospel probably gives the most... Um, detailed account, really, I think of Passion Week, uh, just as Mark does, but Matthew goes into a little bit more detail, and that's kind of why I've selected Matthew to go through mainly for this week. And so I want to encourage you, before we start this morning, go ahead and hit that share button on your Facebook feed, if you will, and share this with others, so maybe they'll join with us in the Word this morning. I'm going to jump right into it because we're covering a lot of passage this morning, and I do want to say happy birthday to Jim Bohannon, though. I happen to notice this morning on Facebook that today is, is his birthday. So, Jim, we wish you a happy birthday. Um, I woke up this morning and had this song on my mind. It really has nothing to do with the passage we're going to look at. Uh, but it's a great old, old hymn. It's a long hymn. Uh, so, therefore, we're not going to sing the chorus on each break. Um, but if you grew up in a little Baptist church like I did, it was always first, second, last verse, and but we missed some of the better verses, I think, when we skipped over those, but anyway, it's one, trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord, in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on Trust and go. 
statement is so true, isn't it? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I found that it's true in my Christian experience that, that when I am trusting and obeying Him, I'm happy. <clears throat> but when I willfully disobey Him, uh, when I do not trust Him, then it seems as though it, it robs me of my joy and my happiness. And so we're encouraged to trust and obey Him daily, uh, even in the things that seem very odd to us, um, things that we would possibly rather take pleasure in uh, other than finding our pleasure and comfort in Him, but to trust and obey. You know, the enemy has free reign and territory in our hearts and our minds when we disobey. And we hold on to that sin. Man, the enemy just does a number on us. And God desires that we walk in the joy and the freedom, uh, the peace of the Holy Spirit. And so that only comes through obedience. We're picking up in Matthew chapter 21. And not sure if it's the same day of the previous event when Jesus cleanses the temple. but So it's either late Monday or early Tuesday of that week. And uh, he walks out and, and it says in the morning, perhaps this is Tuesday morning, um, when he was returning, I'm in verse 18, when he was returning to the city, he became angry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, what was Jesus angry at? Jesus was angry because of the... Um, the, the oppression, if you will, of the Pharisees, the, the, the leaders, the temple leaders where they had oppressed the people and they had made more of the law uh, than what it was intended. He, he was angry, I think, uh, carry over from where he cleansed the temple where they had made God's house that is intended to be a house of prayer, a place of commerce and profit. And so he's angry and he looks at the fig tree and he realizes that there are no, there's no fruit on the fig tree. I've been to Jerusalem, and some of you were with me in Jerusalem. And one thing uh, about fig trees, if you know fig trees around here, a little bit different than the ones that are in Jerusalem. But typically, about the time that the fig tree leaves, the leaves begin to come out on the fig tree. Also, there will be small fruit that comes almost simultaneously as the leaves open up on the fig tree. 
And he looked at this fig tree, and if they don't come simultaneously, they come very shortly after the leaves begin to open up. And so he looks at the fig tree, and it had no fruit on it, and he cursed the fig tree, and it withered. Here what Jesus, I think, is displaying in this is that it was a hypocrisy, very much like the religious leaders. They, they had a righteousness that was an outward sense of righteousness, but their hearts were far from God. Um, he told the Pharisees once that your, your hearts are like whitewashed tombs, that on the outside, everything's very clean and everything's neat, but inside there are dead bones. And very similar to that, the fig tree was, was bearing its leaves, and so it was, it was in hypocrisy. It, it looked as though it was bearing fruit, but it was not bearing any fruit. And we have to pay attention to that in our lives as well. We can have all the outward appearances of religiosity, uh, but we're only fooling ourselves, and oftentimes we're not fooling other people. We think we do. Um, but a tree is known by its fruit, the Bible says. And so there, there should be fruit that's born in our lives if we're walking daily in the Holy Spirit. God, God will, will it, it's just a natural occurrence. And when we're walking with God, we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, there will be fruit that's manifested in our lives as indication that we are truly walking with God. The church is full of a lot of hypocrites. And somebody said, I don't want to go to that church because it's full of hypocrites. And somebody responded to them, well, good, don't go because they don't need another hypocrite. Listen, one of the greatest freedoms, I think, in the body of Christ is that we can be open with one another in areas that we should be able to be open with one another, areas that we struggle in, areas that we lack faith in, we lack trust in, maybe besetting sins that oftentimes uh, can seize us. There is a great freedom of being able to be honest with one another um, so we can get support and strength and encouragement to overcome those things. So the next day, it says the disciples marveled. And they said, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you receive if you have faith. And so Jesus is indicating that, listen, if you have faith in God and, and you believe that God can, there are miraculous things that will happen. And um, he's not literally saying that they can say to this mountain, move and the mountain be moved. That was an idiom in the day. And it was used to indicate that, that something that's impossible can happen. And God can do the impossible. Now, we have to remember our faith is not in our faith. Um, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers, um, I don't want to name names, but golly, they're, we're just full of them. They will, they will indicate that it's faith, our faith that does things, makes things happen. No, it's our faith in God. And God is the one who moves. We cannot move a single thing outside of the will of God. I don't care how much faith we try to muster up. But everything is subject to the will of the Father. And just as Jesus said, Nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. We can trust and believe that God can, and we can believe that he will. But sometimes we can even deceive ourselves into having such a wish for something to happen that it's not God's will. But here we just simply have faith and trust God. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 when we go back to the book of Hebrews. And one of the incredible things there that in that list of those who had faith, 
the faith, the substance of things hoped for. While there were Abraham, Noah, and all the other patriarchs that, that uh, did great things for God, in that same list are those believers who, while they had faith in God, they were torn apart and they were fed to the lions. So faith is not... Um, Faith is not indicated of something great happening. Faith in God is that regardless of what happens, I will trust and believe in God. Though the heavens pass away, though the mountains be renewed, I will not be shaken for I trust in you. So real biblical faith is trusting God and holding on to God regardless of what circumstances will look like. So we come on to verse 23 where Jesus' authority is challenged by the Pharisees. He says, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so you can almost see it in their religious pumping their chest out. They were, they were the temple leaders. They were the Pharisees. They were the chosen ones. And so they're asking Jesus, hey, by what authority are you doing these things? Well, we already know from our study in the Gospel of John that there was nothing that Jesus did except that which was the will of the Father. And so all authority, he said, has been, has been given to me by the Father. And so already it's been indicated, he said many times, all of his authority comes to the Father, not on his own authority. But then Jesus answered, I think knowing their hearts, he answers them with a question. Jesus did this very often. He said, I will also, also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? So we know the baptism. He's speaking of John the Baptist. John was a forerunner of Jesus, and he came preaching repentance, and he baptized even Jesus himself, but he baptized, and, and the Bible says it was a baptism of repentance. And so <clears throat> the, the Pharisees had already accepted John the Baptist as a prophet of God, and the people had also accepted him. So Jesus kind of gets them in a quandary here because John the Baptist had, had not only been, been conducting the baptism of repentance, but John the Baptist gave witness and testimony to Jesus being the Son of God. And so he kind of had them trapped here. And they discussed it among themselves. You can see them in their little huddle discussing, oh, how are we going to answer this? Uh, if we say that he's from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? In other words, believe him that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. But if you say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So you see, they were kind of caught in a trap there. And they conveniently took a position of agnosticism. I'm not sure. I don't know. When you're raising your kids, did you ever ask them the question, why did you do so-and-so? And they say, I don't know. Yes, they knew. We know they knew. But it was a convenient way to escape responsibility for what they had done. And here the Pharisees are doing the same thing. They're conveniently escaping uh, declaring either that John was from God or he was not from God because if they'd said he was from God, then... Jesus would have answered the question, then this is the authority of which I gave. Now, Jesus gives two parables in the next, uh, the remainder of this part of, of uh, Matthew chapter 21. 
uh, indicating where the Pharisees were in, in relation to what God the Father had sent them in Christ as a Messiah and their rejection of him. So let's look at this first one, the parable of two sons. He asked a question, verse 28. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And then he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. In other words, he lied to his father, said he was going to go, but he didn't go. Then verse 31, which of these two did the will of his father? And they answered the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. And so he was equating the Pharisees to the second son, where they just, they, they, the son gave the answer, yeah, I'm going to go and do this, but yet they were disobedient. And so Jesus is making a contrast here and saying, listen, the tax collectors heard me and they believed. The prostitutes heard me and believed. You should have believed. While once they may have rejected, then they received him, speaking of the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Then the last parable that he gives is the parable of the talents. Verse 33, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, and they beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is his heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, um, what do you think he'll do to these tenants? And they said to him, he will put these wretched, these wretches to miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenant, lend out, lend out the tenure, vineyard to the other tenants who will give him fruits in their season. What Jesus is speaking of here are the prophets that had come before Jesus. You see, Israel killed the prophets. Um, the, the wicked kings killed the prophets. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the, 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 the father who is the landowner, had, had, you're the tenants that, that were to, to work the vineyard. And there were prophets that came, but yet you killed them because you would not give them. And so even if the father, even if the owner sends his son, he'll say, surely they'll believe him. But they did to the son just as they had done to the prophets. And what Jesus is saying here is they're going to do the same thing to him. He's coming with a message from the father. Yet they're going to reject the message and they're going to kill him. And Jesus is prophesying what's going to happen here. And he asks a question, what do you think the owner of the land is going to do when they realize? And they said, the owner of the land is going to kill those. And then Jesus says this, have you never heard in scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, 
and it is a and is a marvelous in our eyes. Here's quoting Psalm 118, the messianic prophecy. Jesus was the builder. He was the stone that the builder rejected. He is the chief cornerstone, yet the Jews rejected Jesus at his first coming. There's going to be a second coming when Jesus comes. And the Bible says that at that coming, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus concludes in verse 43, he says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus is saying here that, listen, you rejected the son. You've rejected the chief cornerstone. So now there are those that I'm going to go to and they'll receive it and they will bear fruit. What Jesus is indicating here is that he is going to now come to the Gentiles. That's you and I. While Jews could, yes, they could believe, but now there was a sign and indication that the gospel, the shedding of the blood of the Son of Jesus was not only for the Jews, not only was he the Messiah for the Jews, but for the whole world. And thank God that he drew you and I by his Holy Spirit, opened our eyes and gave us the faith to trust what he has done so that we might be grafted into that vine. And then verse 45, he says, When the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. He was. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. That is, the crowds held him to be a prophet. And this crushing that Jesus speaks of there in verse 44, it happened in the year 70 AD. When Rome came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, they crushed the temple to where not a stone was left lying on another. And as a consequence, we now, still today, there is no sacrifice that can be made in the temple indicating that Jesus was the final sacrifice for the payment of our sins. Well, thank God for, for that today. I pray that God gives you an opportunity to plant a seed of the gospel in somebody's heart today. If a seed's already been planted there and you recognize that, would God give you the wisdom to be able to cultivate it? And if God would allow us to see somebody, to witness his grace in somebody's life, to see them saved today, wouldn't that be great? Well, I pray the Lord blesses you. I look forward to being with you tomorrow morning. Make plans today to be here on Friday morning for our Good Friday service at 7 a.m. We start promptly at 7 a.m. and we'll finish promptly at 7.30. We look forward to that time together as a body. I love you. I pray the Lord blesses you today. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our daily podcast. For more information about First Conyers, visit our website at firstconyers.com.